My name is Abby, and I'm the voice behind the Evolving Love Project. In this podcast, my husband and I deep dive into the topics of non-monogamy and polyamory, drawing from our experiences from the last eight years of being consensually non-monogamous. My name is Liam. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, curious, or anything in between, we invite you to join the conversation. Let's begin. On today's episode of the Evolving Love Podcast, we speak with Cam Fraser. Cam Fraser is a certified professional sex coach and certified sexologist. Being a former tantric yoga teacher, his work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions. As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface-level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-oriented sexual experiences free of anxiety or shame. Cam, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, In your own words, would you be able to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your work and what you do? We'd love to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, Firstly, thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Cam and I am a men's sex coach. And uh, for those that are unfamiliar, like sex coach or coaching compared to sex therapy or therapy in general, my understanding is coaching is from where you are today and where you want to go. And let's get really practical about it. Let's set some goals. And here's some advice that you can start to follow versus therapy, which is, okay, where have you come from? What's in the past? What do we need to unpack? And what do we need to work on? What do we need to overcome in order to help you get to to, to the present? So uh, both are really valuable in my opinion. And um, I used to actually work as a counselor and I was going to go down the therapy route, but I found it quite limiting in terms of the experience that I have both life experience and also experience with other healing modalities for example I've you know got a background in massage and yoga and breath work and was in the sacred sexuality tantra space for a little while doing that type of workshops so uh, I felt like I couldn't draw on any of those experiences or knowledges from a counseling perspective I felt quite boxed in so I put the coaching hat on and um and you know started working with uh, I started working with with everyone before I started niching into working specifically with men. Uh, but I, you know, reflected on who I can speak to with some sort of authority, who, who I can, can speak to from, you know, being informed by my own lived experience, you know, and, uh, and that, that's men. And it's predominantly like men from the age of say 30 to 60, I would imagine is probably my, my demographic. And, um, and you know, the, the stuff that I share online, which is stuff that I started doing like 10 years ago is, stuff that I wish I'd been told, you know, stuff that I wish someone had told me at the ages of 13, 14, 15, you know, like 10, 15 years ago now. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I feel like one of the reasons why my work resonates with a lot of people, especially a lot of men is because I just try and speak to a younger version of myself and, and try and educate myself in the way that I wish someone had educated me, you know, someone who's relatively non-judgmental, who is, you know, knowledgeable and, and has, you know, read up on some of these things, but is sharing in a way that, um, you know, is grounded and isn't too airy-fairy. And so that's like the the stuff that I put out into the world. It's the stuff that I needed and still need. You know, a lot of the research that I do is still educating me. You know, I'm still a student um, in many respects. So uh, so that I get a lot of guys go, yeah, thank you so much for sharing about, you know, your journey with uh, alcohol, for example, or your journey with um, injuring my lower back, you know, going to university over in the States. So a lot of the, the formative life experience that I had really are directly you know, impacting the work that I do today. And, um, and so I try and share about that as, pos- as much as possible and I can share about it today as well. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I think like a lot of guys resonate with the work is because they see 
part of their own experience in the experiences that I share about. And, and, um, and so that's why kind of why I'm here today is, is because I want to like continue to talk. It's so wonderful. Your work is so brilliant in kind of sharing this vulnerable nature that you have to really talk so openly and, and open up those lines of communication. Because uh, certainly this is something that, that Abby and I speak a lot about and Abby speaks a lot about, but really just empowering men to kind of be vulnerable, to have these conversations, to have these conversations around sexuality. And we're all coming from, from different backgrounds. Of course, we're all coming from different kind of lived experiences. And I'm really interested in, in the way in which your upbringing kind of influenced the way in which you view sexuality. Because I know you spent some time uh, in the States, in, the, in, in Georgia, when you were studying. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, what are the past experiences that have shaped your approach to, to thinking about male sexuality? So I uh, went over to America. So I, I'm, you know, raised in Australia, born in the UK, but um, but went to America when I was about 17 to go and study over there. And I uh, was on a soccer scholarship to go and study. So I was a collegiate athlete as well, part of the locker room culture. Um, and the the first university that I went to was in Georgia. So for people that are unfamiliar with where Georgia is, it's in the deep south, the conservative south of the United States, uh, the Bible Belt. And the tagline of the school that I went to, which was, it was very religious, was unapologetically Baptist. So it was like part of a, you know, the Baptist denomination of Christianity. Uh, so much so that like we had a student ID card that we had to swipe every time we went to a uh, congregation, right? Every time we went to a chapel service. And if we didn't log enough hours over the course of the semester, then we had to make those hours up. Otherwise we wouldn't get our transcripts and we wouldn't be able to graduate. So there was a very... Wow. Uh, forceful approach to uh, you know I think the, the the Bible thumping language is is there right? you know they were, they were very much like trying to force the the Bible down our throat uh, but like because of that community that I was in I saw a lot of repression and um, shame with regards to sexuality you know I took a class as part of my studies there um, around human sexuality so I was studying psychology and the class that I took was called um, Christian approaches to human sexuality and the class, uh, you know, the, the professor was very, um, it, to his credit, he was relatively open, but he was still like, a, you know, he's still a Christian, you know, practicing Christian. And so the, the messages that we got from that class was like homosexuality is a sin, premarital sex is a sin. Um, I, I remember talking up in class and kind of like pushing back on some of the, the rhetoric and the and with a friend of mine um, as well sitting in the back of the class, just being classic Australian larrikins taking the piss. And I remember the professor being like, I'm going to pray for you too. And I was like, oh, great. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, but so the, the messages that we got there, like what I was getting from this, this professor and from like the, the community in general, and also all the other, what the other young people were getting, right, was sexuality is shameful and that you shouldn't explore it and that you shouldn't feel comfortable like doing it and it should only be saved until you're you know you, you you're in a committed monogamous uh heterosexual relationship right under the eyes of the lord um and so that was really heavily juxtaposed with actually what i was noticing with these young people um on the weekends for example right because as young people do you know especially in in you know, countries like Australia and the UK and, and America in particular is they party, they get drunk, they go out and do stupid shit on the weekends. Right. And so, um, I would notice that like a lot of these students who were in these classes would, you know, find a way to, uh, 
to consume alcohol because of, of course they couldn't because it's 21 years old over there right when you when you're allowed to drink um but i was able to get a fake id and i was able to party with like these these you know young christian kids who you know were turning 17 18 uh, and they you know they wanted to express themselves they wanted to go out and have fun they wanted to do these things that young people typically do uh and they would put themselves i mean myself included like in unsafe situations right like because there was no sex education but these kids they still wanted to have sex um there was no like there was no like what does a healthy relationship look like so there was a lot of like i want to say like verbal abuse you know in in these young kids having relationships um say physical abuse as well if i'm totally honest um and that would all happen under the influence of alcohol right and then sunday morning would roll around and everyone would be back in church repenting for what they'd just done that week and so the cycle of guilt and shame was just perpetuated by that right you would go out and have fun express yourself do the things that young people typically do like have this experience and then feel so much guilt and shame about having that experience the next morning right and you've got this pastor telling you that like you have to wait until marriage and so this this it was just like ingrained this this shame and 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 guilt really religious kind of purity culture guilt and so i spent two years in that community and that was a very cyclical experience like every every weekend that would happen um and then i transferred to a university in iowa uh which was a catholic university so i went from the baptists to the catholics and you know i'm atheist so yeah so it was a very like it was a culture shock for me you know and uh, you know so i went from like that they, they have peaches in georgia that's like the thing that they do there's like peaches in georgia and then there's corn in iowa so i'm from peaches to corn um and and it, like, there was another class that i took there which was like um was it called like catholic ethics or something like that and so very similar um rhetoric with regards to you know shame and guilt and there was a, maybe a little bit more openness with regards to like sexual expression but it was still no education around contraceptives right so like condoms mm. were seen as a bad thing right because you're the natural reason to have sex is to procreate. And so anything that stops you from procreating is, you know, or doing God's work of, you know, passing on, you know, the, the, the lineage of Christendom or whatever you're, um, yeah. So you, you're, you're, you're sinning. Right. And so again, laden with shame and guilt in, but in slightly different ways. Um, and, and saw like similar situations, a lot of young people not being able to navigate their sexual experiences really healthily, again including myself i was also drinking heavily at this time as a collegiate you know athlete as well i don't want to give the impression that i was some saintly figure that had all my shit figured out because i certainly didn't um i had a lot of mental health issues at the time um you know i was really insecure about who i was as a young man being in these environments didn't didn't help me um but like my way of coping with that was to almost like put on my australianness right like to really go over the top with you know portraying myself as like a i had long dreadlocks at the time so i was like this, this i don't know what you would fucking call me um but I, I you know i used to drink quite a lot i was like known as like the australian dude who could like really handle his booze uh so that was like my way of fitting in right was was i'll just be the australian guy and um and that's because i was really unsure of myself i was unsure of like who i was as a man i was unsure of like what it meant to be masculine like i I'd, I'd always been kind of like tall and lanky not really like you know the ideal masculine physique of like quite strong and, and muscular uh and i was never really into like i was playing sport sure that was like my only in for like the you know being like a, a man was like i was good at sport but i never really was into like um 
other typically masculine things, you know, especially in the States as well, like the guns culture and like the car culture and like other things that like these other young men were really interested in. I was like not, didn't, I didn't really give a shit about. So um, I was always more comfortable talking to young women um, at that time in my life and, you know, still to an extent today as well. Um, and so, so I, I was, was really insecure about like who I was as a young man. And, and my way of dealing with that was trying to drink, was trying to sleep with as many women as possible. Um, was, was, you know, kind of the, 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 the phrase that comes to mind is, um, quantity over quality, right. In terms of sexual experiences, that was like my approach to, to sex at that age. Cause I was like still part of that locker room culture, still the language that we were talking about to, to, to describe our sexual experiences was like how many we've had, not like how pleasurable it was or how enjoyable it was. It was just like this many is, you know, n- notching up on the bedpost was kind of like the mm-hmm. mentality. Um, and so it, it wasn't until I seriously injured my back that all of that really shifted for me. I, I fractured my lower spine and, um, and I was introduced to clinical Pilates as part of my rehabilitation and the rehabilitation process took a little while, but you know, through Pilates, I was introduced to other modalities like yoga and massage and breath work and meditation and, and several other things. Uh, but I noticed that when I was doing these, these healing modalities, bodywork modalities that I started having like really intense emotions, you know, like I, I would be doing a, an exercise on the, on the reformer that was like really difficult for me to do because my back was so sore and, um, and the old ladies next to me, they could nail it because they've been doing it for like 50 years. And now I'm this, you know, 18 year old kid who's trying to like figure this out. And I, I was shit at it. And, um, and so I get like disproportionately angry, right? I would just like rage at like why I couldn't do this. Like, you know, unnecessarily angry, right? You know, and so I was like, why is it, where's this coming from? What's, what's, why am I feeling this way? Um, similarly, like I'd do a yoga class and I would like burst out into tears when doing like a, you know, really gentle practice, you know, that was like really supposed to be quite restorative. I just find like a lot of sadness and grief start to bubble up to the surface and I couldn't hold back the tears. And again, I was like, what the fuck's going on? This is weird. I shouldn't be feeling this way. So again, I don't want to give you the impression that I like knew what I was doing because I went to therapy at the age of 19 with the intention of like, I need to get rid of these emotions because I don't want my mates to know that I'm feeling them. I don't want my mates to know that I have emotions. I need to like do something about this. So that was my intention going to therapy and very quickly i had a good therapist go actually emotions are normal and healthy and you need to have them and uh and so what we ended up doing was narrative Mm -hmm. therapy together um for several years which is you know in a nutshell essentially it's like what are the stories that you tell yourself about who you're supposed to be and do those stories come from external sources or do they come from internal sources and are they healthy are they helping are they beneficial for you do they contribute to your good or poor mental health and then once you've kind of discerned that it's like well what stories do you want to adhere to what are some new stories that you want to tell yourself what are some new stories that you that you um you know want to abide by and so that's like you know how do i want to show up as a man in the world what does it mean for me to be a man what does it mean to be a sexual man as well what does it mean for me to be a man in the bedroom what does masculinity mean to me like how do i show up in these things with integrity and with um you know in a way that feels good for me and makes me feel like i'm i'm you know contributing what I want to the world. So, um, mm. did that for several years and, um, quickly realized that, you know, by doing a combination of talk based therapy and body work, like Pilates, massage, yoga, that I was way less 
tense and way less insecure and way less like in the nicest way possible i stopped giving a shit what other men thought about me right i was so concerned about trying to fit in and like be one of the boys Mm. and you know not be ostracized or ridiculed or bullied uh, not be called gay or not be thought of as lesser than you know that was my mindset for such a long time and when i started kind of stripping all that back and being like whoa that made me feel so tense and like that made me feel so um, constricted in my body and also like made me feel so insecure mentally, gave me a lot of anxiety mentally. When I just let go of that, and I don't want to say it was like an overnight thing, but it was, you know, through therapy and through moving through these emotions in my body and releasing all that, I started being much more comfortable just like going, I don't give a shit what you think about me. I don't care. I started calling out the guys that were talking poorly about other men or that talking poorly about women or you know, um, even sexually, I started having better sex because I was less tense in my body, right? And we, we kind of know that tension in your body manifests as maybe erectile issues or coming quite quickly um, or just like lack of presence, lack of connection with your partner. Uh, and so I was able to breathe and, and just like felt more comfortable not being like the man in the bedroom and, you know, just asking questions, being like, what are you interested in? Rather than trying to like assert dominance and take control and like do the things that I thought men were supposed to do. I was like, I can just let go of that and just be like, hey, what do you what do you enjoy? What turns you on? What do you find pleasurable? Let's fucking do that. That's fun. That's cool. I, I enjoy like being in those spaces. So um, so yeah, it had a it had profoundly transformative impact on my life at the rate at the edge of like 2021. 20, and um and so I shifted like trajectories in wow. terms of like where I wanted to go. And I lost a lot of friends at that time in my life as well. Um, partly because I moved countries, I moved back from America to Australia. But also partly because the men in my life at that time in my life were not really supportive of the direction that I wanted to go in. You know, they were very much, the friendships that I, if I'm totally honest, were, they revolved around alcohol. They revolved around going out, getting drunk, not really remembering it yeah. the, the next day and, um, and, and not really going too much deeper than surface level conversations. And, um, and, so and so like, I don't hold any grudges against like the men in my life around that time, but um but yeah, we just didn't, we didn't fit anymore. And so I had to, I felt a bit lonely for a couple of years um, in terms of like having friendships, uh, but then managed to find a bit of a community here in, in Australia and, and now have like some really beautiful supportive friendships and, and men in my life that do, you know, want to see the best Amazing. from me and who I want to see the best in as well. So um, that, that's, I, I tried to, nutshell that story but hopefully there's enough there no i mean that's that's really amazing and there's so many interesting uh points that come from that but i mean working backwards that that kind of the importance of community and the role that community plays the people around us um the, you know especially the, the the men around us and the way that they're interacting with each other as men but also the way that they're interacting and, and talking about women talking about sexuality these are just such critical things that just really form our ability to express ourselves sexually you know in a in a really healthy kind of manner and that's something certainly that that you try to do abby with the community that you're building with evolving love project is kind of opening up those lines of communication where there's no judgment and we're we're trying to present good role models um, of just healthy expression and connecting in with your emotions like you were saying the importance behind you know being able to, to to not judge yourself for feeling emotional about something or not especially as a man not to ju- judge yourself if you're crying you know that 
actually accessing your emotions will open up things for you sexually and with in terms of your community and, and, and the people around you. I really feel, you know, listening to everything that you're saying, you know, you've really done so much work with unpacking so many of these deeply ingrained ideas around, you know, masculinity and these societal expectations and everything that's sort of been put on you over a lifetime, which you probably didn't realise and it's sort of coming out and acting out in these ways with the alcohol and the people who you're keeping company with at that time and the culture that you were in essentially with the men around you. And, you know, when you take a step back from that and you start to make these changes and have all of these, you know, these different ways of being, you know, focusing on your body, yourself, thinking about what's important for you, there can be such a time of, you know, untangling so much of what you had known and and who you want to be. And that is something that we really notice in conversations that we have with people, uh, you know, at our conversation evenings and people who we know just in the non-monogamous space, because in the non-monogamous space, so much of this stuff around masculinity comes to the forefront quite quickly. You really can't escape it for people who are trying to engage in these types of relationships. And so I'm really interested to know, Cam, you know, what, how you feel, you know, these, these masculinity expectations, these societal norms, you know, how men are sort of programmed to be in the world, how that sort of affects, how that might affect their ability to maybe engage in relationship styles or ways of being that are a little bit more alternative or, or differing from the norm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, several things come to mind, but I'll see if I can organize my thoughts here. Um, so I'll share an experience, right? Like I um, I did this workshop with a lady called Betty Martin. Um, she has the Wheel of Consent framework for those of you that are interested. Highly recommend checking it out. Um, but the, the workshop uh, encouraged us to do this activity whereby, um, you know, we sit down with a partner and we ask our partner like, um, or our partner asks us more so uh, what we would like to do to them in order to like receive pleasure or receive enjoyment or, or in order to like, you know, feel good about ourselves. And um, in this particular exercise uh, throughout the workshop, I did a, um, with a partner and I, I um, she asked me this and I said, oh, I'd really love to just like hug you. I'd really love to just like hold you and spoon you and just lie down and just be and just sit together, right? And um, one of the facilitators came over and, uh, and, prompted like and they were going around prompting everyone they they prompted us um as a pairing they said well who's this for you know who, who's who's this you know for and I, I was like oh this is this is for me and and although the, the instructor didn't like mean anything about it like they, they were just like offering the prompt when we came back to debrief after it i had this like wave of realization of like oh my god i've been like following this script of what i thought it meant to be masculine or what it meant to be a man in the bedroom, which was like, I've got to be escalating. I've got to be pursuing. I've got to be taking things to the next level. I've got to, I've got to initiate sex. I've got to go from cuddling to, I've got to start kissing. Then I've got to be the person that then like initiates penetration or foreplay or that goes to the next thing. Like escalating is the thing that comes to mind, right? I, as the man have to always be escalating. And that had been something I, I like, just like as I said, this wave of realization came over me. Like I've been doing that my whole life is like trying to like pursue, right? To escalate to the next level. And the, the, the next wave of realization was like, there have been times that I didn't want to do that, that I just wanted to sit down and hug and cuddle and like hold my partner. But I didn't because I thought that's not manly. That's not masculine. I've got to pursue here. And so 
you know, I tied this into another kind of like observation that I've made about men in general, which is like, for a lot of us as guys, one of the only avenues that we have for intimacy is sexual connection with someone like explicitly sexual intimacy, right? Cause it isn't for a lot of guys manly to ask to just cuddle or just sit and just be, you know, in a you know intimate you know situation, but a non-sexual intimate situation. A lot of guys don't do that with their male friends. And if you say that you don't want to have sex and you just want to cuddle with a woman, then you you might be perceived as gay, or you might be perceived as like not um, interested in sex. And and I have had that you know not thrown in my face. It's kind of the wrong expression, but like I've had that said to me when I didn't want to have sex was, "What are you gay? Or what's wrong with me?" Right? And there's there. So there's a there's a learning piece for women, I suppose, around this if they're having sex with men is like the expectation that men are always wanting to have sex, that men are always wanting to just go for penetration, that men are always wanting to just escalate and go to the you know the end goal of of getting in your pants. Um, and you know, a lot of guys perpetuate that story because that's what they think is supposed to be, you know, what it means to be a man. And 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 you know, I fully put my hand up and said I I have done that and I I lived that for a long time and I had this realization that if I've crossed my own boundaries, if I've like pushed when I didn't necessarily want to do it and I just wanted to cuddle, but I thought that wasn't what was expected of me, then I've definitely crossed other people's boundaries. I've, I've definitely crossed women's boundaries because I haven't checked in with them because I didn't check in with myself. I didn't check in with them. I just pursued because I thought that was what was expected mm-hmm. of me. And so like another crash, you know, of a wave of realization was like, oh my God, I've, I've broken people's boundaries. You know, I've, I've fucked up, you know? And so there was like the guilt, not only of the, of like me disrespecting my own boundaries and my own consent, right? Hence the wheel of consent, I suppose, but also other people's consent, women's consent, right? Throughout my, throughout my life. Cause I didn't ask them. I didn't make it explicitly clear that I was going to escalate. And so the guilt of that and the shame of that. Um, and, and when I do work with guys, like and kind of explore consent with them, there is a reluctance to acknowledge that maybe there have been times that they haven't, asked for consent or they haven't been mindful of another person's boundaries, whether it's their own boundaries or someone else's boundaries, and they, they, they probably have crossed it. And there's like the, the reluctance is to, to, to acknowledge that because there's shame behind it and there's um, guilt behind it as well. Yeah. And whether it's that religious guilt, right. From previous story that I just told about where I went to university, or it's this guilt around like, I haven't been like a, I haven't, I haven't, sought explicit consent from like my partners before and maybe i have fucked up like there's shame and guilt as i said with sexual experiences for for many people but like for men in particular like that's something that i notice quite a lot of um and so like that's one thing is like the expectation that men have to to escalate yeah this is something that uh that i think a lot about um certainly kind of these tropes of masculinity and how it actually impedes us from really um getting into those healthy relationships with ourselves and this this kind of uh perception that we need to always uh, kind of be very forward thinking and, and kind of tapping into those those hyper masculine qualities of 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 turning away from vulnerability and just that that beautiful ability to be able to to identify things within yourself you know maybe acknowledge past things that that may have been in the gray area that are really healthy to talk about and it's something it's it's kind of a, a nuance that's really important to have in public as well as well as in private with your friends and opening up these kind of conversations with friends 
because it's it's something that we've certainly seen. I mean, an interesting thing for me, I find a, a, a fascinating place to, to notice kind of these traditional roles of masculinity is actually it's something like a sex party. It's a moment where you start to destigmatize all these traditional roles of masculinity because you start to realize that other people are approaching masculinity in totally different ways. You might be in a room of 10 other men engaging in this kind of sexual experience, but maybe there there is cuddling. Maybe there is this uh, kind of... Uh, it's not necessarily a, an escalator to, you know, penetrative sex. You know, that's not the end goal in those environments. And it allows you to see this kind of really broad spectrum of approaches to, to, to male sexuality. And I also feel like, you know, what you're saying with really consciously thinking, what what do I want right now with this connection with this person? What do they want? Let's meet in the middle. You know, let, let's find our connection and with it not always escalating to, you know, full-blown sex. I also think about that in regards to relationships as well and friendships and the roles that we put on what specific relationships are and friendships in particular. I have some really intimate, wonderful friendships where they are a little bit romantic, but we don't sleep together, but we have an intimacy. We have an intimacy in the way that we share with one another. We have an intimacy in the way that we might be holding hands when we walk down the street or we might um, you know, put a hand on each other's back or something like that, but it doesn't necessarily escalate into a full-blown sexual relationship, but it's sort of you know, un- undoing the these ideas of even what a friendship and what a relationship is. And that's what I find so interesting, you know, Cam, when I'm, when I'm hearing you talk about this, it's not just about the specifics of what you're talking about. It really just, it, it can be a total perspective change with so many different um, ways to, to view intimacy and relationships and sexual connection. Yeah, something that comes up as well related to this, just to kind of speak more into your point around um, relationship dynamics, right, is because a lot of men adhere to these scripts about what it means to be a man, right, and I shared my adherence to a particular script about what it means to be a man in that sexual context, like when it comes to relationships, a lot of guys also adhere to a script of like, I need to be the person who is a provider or a protector or a presider, right, over my monogamous family over my my woman right like is the, the almost possess, possessive in a sense and so like there is a a, a stigma or a, a you know a shame that some men don't want to admit to or acknowledge but you know if you spend any time online you'll start to to notice this of like if i'm not um you know if, if i'm not in a monogamous relationship for example and, and you guys probably will feel this much more than i do because i i am in a monogamous relationship is um like the, you know, the the word that comes to mind is, and this is from online, is like, oh, you're a um, you're a cuck, right? Or you're um, you're someone who's not able to to. You know, the word cuck has like its own specific definition, but the way that it's used, especially as a pejorative or as like a derogatory way to like put men down, is you're not able to provide enough sexually for your partner, or you're not man enough for your partner, so they have to go elsewhere because you are lacking in your masculinity or you're lacking somewhere as a man. And even though a lot of men maybe don't unpack that, they feel that a lot, right? It's like, I'm not enough. I'm not man enough. Um, there's so the self-worth in there. There's like um, self-esteem issues in there as well. But that's something that I notice a lot. And I, you know, like I said, spend on, I spend time online because I try and like reach men that are, you know, almost terminally online. But like that is something that comes up over and over and over again is like the word cuck in that derogatory derogatory way of trying to put down men um, and shame them for their 
openness in their relationship or their openness with their sexuality or their openness with their, um, it's kind of like the equivalent of, um, the way gay is used in a pejorative way to put down men for like their expression of masculinity. This is like that version of the word, um, in a pejorative way to kind of like put down men for their version of masculinity in a relationship sense as well. So, um, again, and there's like vulnerability there, there's insecurity there, there's stuff that's like really important to acknowledge, but all that gets done away with because other men shame and belittle and, um, you know, stigmatize any type of guy who does want to open up those conversations, who do, who does want to like, you know, um, open up their relationship or who does want to like you know, explore different relationship dynamics. That's fascinating that you, you talk about those kind of pejorative terms. Cuck is a really interesting term because obviously that's a that's a sexual fantasy that a lot of men have. If you look at the, you know, the, the Pornhub most searched terms, that's somewhere in the, in the mix in that. And it's interesting that a really negative connotation has been ascribed to a word that really just describes kind of this sexual proclivity as well. And it makes me wonder whether that also kind of in turn uh, starts to shame men and, and their perhaps fantasies, and it feeds into that sense of a, sh- a shame cycle in some ways. So I'm interested to know, because obviously you're working with a lot of men, you're having these conversations with a lot of men. But is there that sense of shame in the way that people approach elements of fantasy that maybe they don't even want to bring into a reality in the sense of bringing it into their own relationship or the sexual experiences that they have? But I wonder whether, you know, the way we talk about different sexual proclivities or sexual fantasies actually doesn't do uh, men uh, justice in, in setting us up for a shame-free way of approaching sexuality and relationships. Man. I 100% agree with you, dude. And then like, even if you dial this back, not even to just sexual fantasies, but if you dial it back to like just masturbation in general, like the way that men talk about masturbation is not conducive for like pleasurable experiences, right? It's like, I jerked off, you know, or I, you know, you call each other wankers. Like there's no sincerity or there's no like um, deeper pleasure oriented conversations around men when it comes to masturbating, right? And so that's something I notice really often is like when I, you know, invite guys to talk about their masturbation and I I even steer clear of the word masturbation. I use the word self-pleasure because masturbation is such a loaded term and has a lot of negative connotations. It shouldn't, but societally it does. Um, It conjures up images maybe of guys sitting in front of a computer screen, just going through the motions, right? Watching their favorite tube site. That's very often the image that gets evoked when we talk about male masturbation and we can talk about why that is, but you know, the that, that is the image that a lot of people you know think of. And so when I speak to guys about like exploring their pleasure by themselves, not only do I have to work through that initial resistance of like, oh, so you want me to masturbate? You're like, oh, that's, so it's okay. I don't need to like, you know, hide it. It's like, no. And then there's the other resistance of like, now I'm inviting you to explore beyond just sitting in front of a computer screen jerking off there's a resistance there to like, oh, now I'm doing something that's like weird. There's something that's like, you know, like shouldn't be necessary, right? There's rhetoric around like guys shouldn't use sex toys, for example, because they've just got their hands and they can just jerk off and just go through the motions by using their hands. And it's like, well, yeah, but why shouldn't they be also encouraged to use sex toys to explore pleasure in a bunch of different ways? And part of it is because like male sexuality, at least in my observation is like, the discussions or discourse around it is very much centered on gratification. Guys just want to just get off, right? They just want to like 
get it up, get it in and get it off, right? It's like the mentality that I feel like we've associated with like male sexuality or men's sexual experiences. Um, and so like the shift that I'm attempting to do with like the work that I'm, you know, putting out to the world is like, well, let's focus not on gratification. Let's focus on pleasure, right? And I feel like a lot of guys aren't very good at experiencing pleasure. They're very good at experiencing gratification, at scratching the itch, at getting the ejaculation, at getting the orgasm, whatever, right? To like get that squirt of dopamine, which again, I don't mean to, to shame, um, like there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but let's add to it. Let's like talk about deeper experiences of pleasure where maybe there isn't penetration involved, or maybe there isn't even genital stimulation involved. Maybe there's stimulation of other parts of the body. Maybe there's a, a more full bodied experience rather than just a localized genital experience. Right. Um, and that I, I come up against a lot with the men that I work with is like, a, there's a big barrier to exploring sex with themselves in a multiplicity of different ways. And so then that comes up even more when they're with another person, right? It's like, okay, now there's this, this shame um, or this uh, reluctance or this taboo of, you know, being a man in the bedroom that doesn't look like the, the very stereotypical way. And, and, you know, you can just look at porn, um, mainstream porn to think of, of what I'm talking about here. It's like who, I mean, they get an erection straight away. Sometimes there's not even a flaccid penis shown in porn. I can't even remember the last time I saw a flaccid penis shown in mainstream porn. So it's like an erection straight away. It just bounces out of the trousers. It's fucking nine inches long, right? It's three inches above <laughs> the average, you know, um, and they, they pound away. They go straight for penetration. They pound away for like 45 minutes and then there's like a, a big ejaculation at the end. And so like that is the ideal for a lot of men. They might not necessarily admit it, but like, that's the education they've gotten around what it means to be a man in the bedroom. And so if they don't adhere to that like porn script, right, then, then they feel like they're lesser than. And so you know, when I encourage them to explore other things with their partner, which include, you know, their sexual fantasies, right? That's another layer of resistance and shame is to like to then introduce a sexual fantasy, let alone just not following that, that, that really simple linear formulaic script that they see in porn. So there's like all these hurdles that i mean people in general have to overcome um but like men specifically around these things is, is tied back into what it means for them to be a man right and if i do if i don't follow this script or if i do something that deviates from it then i am not masculine enough i am lesser than and my mates will think i'm weird or women won't like me or whatever it might be are very much preoccupied with with not being lesser than so so to answer your question in a roundabout way dude yeah that like definitely. And even before then, there's all these stages of, of shame and resistance that, that lead up to that. What I'm really hearing here, you know, is I feel like there's such a lack of really good quality sex education out there in the world for men and how important it is to for men to be able to have these conversations and, and to be educated in this way and not just be referring back to porn. You know, I feel like so much of the education, the sex education that men are having, it's either it's either none or it's porn, you know, and so having this, having these conversations about, you know, connection to self, caring for others, um, what it all means, being in your body in a really authentic and sovereign way is just so important and something that's so lacking, you know, in, in, the, in the conversation. Something that happened recently was you were chatting with a friend of yours who's, who's, a, who's a male and he was saying uh, how he had felt that he wasn't worthy of having a, a threesome with uh, another woman. Uh, two, two women was his um, preference for, for 
for this type of thing because he didn't feel that he was uh, famous enough or successful enough and that a sign of being successful is that you get to have these sexual experiences. Now, of course, a threesome is a very particular sexual experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be a threesome. But it was a fascinating concept to think that he tied in notions of success in with his sexuality. Mm. Yeah, that was that was very interesting. And that really made me stop and pause and think about, wow, look at the, the programming that's happening around this. And let's look at the perception of what non-monogamy is and who is who is like deserving of being in this type of relationship, you know, or having this type of sexual expression. It was just another another perspective that I hadn't really thought about that somebody felt like they couldn't engage with that because they weren't worthy enough in that way to do that, you know? Yeah. To speak, speaking to that, um, and you know, something you mentioned before is around like education, you know, something that, that I'm a big advocate for is, um, you know, representation, for example. So, you know, I'm not anti-porn, you know, for example, like I think that there are some really wonderful, diverse, inclusive porn, um, companies out there that do have like really educational and ethical pornography. And so I will share that with my clients, right? If I've got a, for example, if I've got a a, a man that I'm working with who is overweight and all the porn that he's watched, he's never seen an overweight man, you know, exploring pleasure, then I will find, you know, typically I have to go to these more ethical websites that do have much more diverse bodies and I'll, I'll send him a video that has a man of his size just exploring pleasure with other people by himself, whatever it might be. Because there's a like a link there of like, oh, wow, this is actually like okay for me in the space that I'm in to receive this. I'm worthy of that pleasure. I'm worthy of having those really you know intimate, beautiful sexual experiences. And so the reason why I bring that up is because there's something here around that piece of like, well, I'm not worthy enough to have a threesome because I'm not successful enough right and i would hazard a guess i'd probably you know i'm i'm kind of guessing here but i would hazard a guess and say all the representations of threesomes that we might see or multiple sexual partners that we might see in mainstream movies and tv shows and other media including pornography pornography is just media i would hazard a guess and say that there's probably a a story there around like you have to be successful or you have to be a certain man or you have to be a particular um you know, have certain achievements in order to like be rewarded with these sexual experiences. And, and, you know, like I said, I, I've got no data to back that up. That's just like a educated guess. I would say that those would be the representations that we would see of like multiple sexual partners in media representations. So like there's, so there's a piece here of education, which is like, we got to show more people having beautiful, intimate, consensual sexual experiences, you know, in a vast variety of ways so that we can like, see that so we can see people that have like you know average sized penises and bodies on screen in front of us so we can see people that maybe you know don't fit that kind of idealized masculine or feminine you know kind of mystique that we have about what it means to be a man or a woman like engaging in you know beautiful intimate experiences with each other so that there is like a so that like a piece drops for us of being like oh like I'm allowed to, that's okay. I, I'm, you know, it's all right for me to, to, to want that and desire that. And other people desire that and want that. And other people that look like me can desire that and want that and have that. And so there's this realization that can come of like, well, that's acceptable and it's, and it's totally okay. And so that, that's something that I'm, I'm, you know, a big advocate for is like education explicitly with 
erotic material because it can be used in such a really powerful way to um yeah to have those realizations to have those acknowledgements and those um those acceptance pieces drop for us so yeah i I don't know if that answered your question in any way but just wanted to offer that sort of that moment of you know coming back inward and you know when i was speaking to my friend and i was hearing him and what he shared with that and i said to him you know you are worthy of love and you're worthy of pleasure right now like there's not an end there's not you know it's not about once you've earned a certain amount of money or you have a certain amount of fame or what you look like or anything it's like actually right now you're worthy of that and it was such a moment of you know of like self-love and just sort of looking in and being empowered by feeling like right now in this moment and I feel like that's one of the things that I really love about you know sex positivity and you know really being in your body in a sovereign way and in your heart and your mind and the way that you engage with people is the the beautiful self-love that can come from actually taking the time to sit and explore this and explore it within yourself. It's very powerful. And what are some of the things that you do uh, with the clients that you work with? With these men that you're working with, what are some of the ways in in order to open, uh, allow men to start to open up uh, around their sexuality? Of course, you talked about the, that kind of the importance of self-pleasure, but are there any other things that you specifically focus on around just allowing men to develop this healthy approach to sexuality? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it right at the beginning is community as well. Um, So I try and put them in touch with like men's spaces or men's groups that I personally can vouch for that hold non-judgmental spaces. And there is, a you know, an element of conversations around sex, not just purely conversations around sex. It's conversations around like life in general, but they don't shy away from the topics of sexuality um, because, you know, they can speak to me, but, you know, um, I think there's really an important piece of like learning how to speak and and feel comfortable hearing other men speak uh, about sexuality. So that's a big part of it. Um, I encourage community building Um, and whether that's online or in person, I'm I'm not kind of neither here nor there. Uh, Something else that I uh, advocate for is like a communication piece as well with the, if they've got a partner uh, then I'll kind of give them some strategies around like how to have conversations with them about sexual desires and fantasies. And one of my approaches to that is to make it fun is to make it playful, is to like take the seriousness out of it a little bit because those conversations can be daunting and scary and it's like, it's inherently risky to have those conversations, right? I really love Brene Brown's definition of like vulnerability and bravery being like this, um, you know, it's risk-taking, it's uncertainty and it's like, it, and it is all those things to have those conversations about sex with your partner because you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know if they're going to think that the thing that you really desire is weird and that they might shame you for it, right? You would hope they wouldn't, um, but you, you don't know that. So there's uncertainty and, and there is a risk-taking element to it. Um, so I encourage men to like lean in um, to that uh, by incorporating like, um, I kind of gamify it in a little way, you know, take um, these activities, uh, like there's a beautiful activity that I use all the time called the yes, no, maybe so game, which is just essentially like a PDF list of all these sexual activities that people can do with one another and i just encourage partners to sit down over a glass of wine or a cup of tea or their beverage of choice and like make it a night or a date right of going through this list of activities and and you indicate 
you know, for, for those interested, you indicate whether you're a yes to this activity, a no, a maybe, or a fantasy, right? So like, this is something, yes, I'd be really keen to try this. No, this is a boundary for me. Oh, maybe if the mood strikes and the things were in place and the stars aligned, I could get into that. Or no, this is just something I want to fantasize about. It's not something I want to do in actual reality. And, and you, you go through the list with your partner and, and you, you know, see, oh, wow, we're, we're a match here. We haven't done this thing together. We haven't talked about this thing together, but you and I are both a yes here. That's cool. Maybe there's something there for us to try, right? There's an opportunity for us to explore this together. And rather than you, let me say, you, like, you know, the, the, the threesome, right? Right. That's a very common um, desire for a lot of people. And maybe you feel really vulnerable about bringing that up with your partner. Like, fuck, I, I'm, I, just, I just can't bring myself to have that conversation. It's too scary for me. But threesome is something that's on that list, right? So rather than it being like this, this overwhelming, you having to initiate a conversation and kind of like bear the burden of like bringing this up. Instead, you go, hey, I've got this really cool game that this dude on this podcast was talking about. I've just downloaded it. Do you want to sit down and have a glass of wine and go through it with me? And then you get to this this thing on the list, which is like, I want to have like I threesome, right? And it's like, oh, I'm a yes to this. What are you to this, right? And so the the burden of like seriousness has kind of been taken by the activity itself, not by you having to bring it up. So it's really helpful Stuff like that. There's other things as well. There's like, would you rather card games as well, which I'm a big fan of. They cost like $6 online. You can just like buy a packet. There's like 52 cards and just play, right? Like, would you rather have sex with three people at one time or have sex with three different people on the same night at different times, right? Just shit like that. And it's like, oh, cool. Get me thinking, get me talking about sex. It's like playful. Um, There's heaps of little activities like that. I'm a big fan of like games. Um, Like I said, the gamification of those conversations I think is like really helpful because it injects like some playfulness. Yeah. Call me crazy, I think, but sex should be fun and playful, right? So I try and like incorporate that into the conversations of sex as well. Um, you know, you could, I mean, some other ideas is like listen to a podcast together that does talk about sex and sexuality or does talk about, you know, a particular fantasy. Maybe you listen to a cuckold podcast or you listen to a podcast about threesomes or whatever. There's plenty of people having those conversations, you know, in podcast format. Pop it on when you're driving with your partner. Be like, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. You want to listen to it with me? And then allow that to like inspire you to have those conversations. Like, like pause it. Like, hey, they just said something there. I thought that was pretty cool. Or like, well, that was a bit full on. What do you reckon about that? You know, and just have this, um, just like the burden of initiation, I suppose, is like the, the thing that I'm trying to like get, you know, to, to alleviate a little bit of that. So that's my other big thing is, is like injecting playfulness into communication. I mean, I just absolutely love that concept of the burden of initiation. And I feel like that is uh, certainly with your writing, Abby, you hear that often is that people will, will go, oh, I, sh- I just sent your Instagram to, you know, to, to my partner. And now we're having all these conversations around whether we'd be ever open to discussions about different relationship structures. And even if people are in, intentionally choosing a monogamous relationship structure, it's great to have these conversations because it does open up that, that line of communication with each other and irrespective of where you end up within your relationship or different sexual activities you might want to both try that beautiful sense of communication is what we're really striving for and and as you said that that kind of burden of initiation just kind of breaking down those walls and also ensuring that as partners we're receiving our own partners you know vulnerability in a way that we don't shame them for for having these particular fantasies and it's it's just so important and we need to get onto those games. I'd be very interested to to see what's what. Our- a, what's your answer with that? So, would you rather have sex with three people at once or three different people in one night? Was that the Was that the question, Cam? Yep. 
you know, I think I'd just be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> to have either opportunity. Look, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a, it would be an amazing opportunity to have. So I'd have, I'd have to see how I was feeling, you know, in that moment or on that day. But what I love the idea about these games as well is that your answers would be ever evolving and shifting because surely just having the conversation, discussing one particular topic or a fantasy or something, and then that might encourage you to gently explore it in fantasy, you know, then might open you up to new things. And then the next time you play the game, you might even have different answers. So it's not like a, it's not a one-time answer. It's like the game that keeps on giving. Well, I think we're going to have to do a very scientific uh, research for you, Cam. <laughs> and we're going to have to figure out what your answer is to that at some point. That's the, that's I'll, the I'll send you the links. I'll send you the links. We'll have to answer it on another podcast episode sometime. Well, Cam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing your personal experiences, for being so vulnerable and for bringing light to such an important and sacred issue with men's sexuality. Yeah, and we'd love to know uh, if you could share with our listeners, you know, you mentioned uh, this, this coaching that you do with men, but what are the other ways in which people can find your work and people could potentially work with you, whether you run workshops or things like that? Yeah, uh, so I have a podcast called Men, Sex and Pleasure, and that's, you know, 170 episodes strong, I feel like at the moment. Um, And it's just conversations like this, really, uh, with a bunch of other guests talking about masculinity, sexuality, pornography, sex work, a bunch of other stuff. So, um, so jump onto that. So lots of free information and education there. Uh, same thing with my social media. So I'm at the Cam Fraser on all social media platforms. So you can find more education and information there. Uh, and then, yeah, I've got, you know, I do one-on-one coaching, but I've also got a, uh, a course for men called Outperform a Porn Star, which is a little bit tongue in cheek. We were talking about, you know, men idealizing what they see in porn. And um, my kind of spin on that is like, well, if you could have really deeply connected passionate multi-orgasmic sex with your partner and with yourself you'd be way ahead of anything you see on screen you'd be way outperforming any porn star and it's this shift towards pleasure which is the key to that so um so yeah i I have that that's a six-week course it's actually on sale uh, at the moment so if people are interested they can jump onto that for a discount um but yeah, just connect with me. Connect with me online. Like I'm super open to answering questions via social media. I get questions every single day. So um, I'm used to anything, everything in between, like whatever questions coming up, like I invite people to share with me because I recognize that we don't really have a lot of outlets for that. So um, I try and welcome it as much as possible. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get this word out there. Thank you for using your platform to like have me on and, and talk about this topic. It's just been really lovely. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure having you and um, we'll hope to stay in touch and we'll speak with you soon. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam. See ya.